So I believe that um, Christians that grow up um, in the church, so like kids that um, accept Christ when they're younger, go through a very unique challenge that maybe people who accept Christ when they're older in life don't have to go through. And that challenge is that the gospel becomes uh, pretty commonplace and ordinary in their lives. And uh, that's what my story is. So with that in mind, let's fast forward to my time at the University of Illinois. Um, growing up with kind of uh, this mentality that the gospel is ordinary and normal um, really uh, started to develop a sense of pride in my life where I thought um, I was doing okay. You know, the gospel is more or less a one and done type thing for me um, where I accepted it. You know, it cleaned me, it did its work, and now I'm good. And I kind of just live my life you know, in the Christian way, in the good way, but, um, yeah, kind of by my own power, um, you know, because I know what to do, and so, um, yeah, I thought I was doing good, because, you know, I was was leading worship, I was leading Bible studies, you know, I was a student leader, um, I was working for a church, you know, all these things, um, you know, I thought that I was, uh, in a sense, uh, earning my, my favor, and, um, yeah, just my, uh, my righteousness with God. So I've struggled with sexual sin since I was probably around 11 or 12 years old. And um, due to just kind of this lifelong struggle, I've started to develop, or I started to develop a very um, low viewpoint of myself, just thinking I wasn't really, um, I don't know, worthy of things and... Um, yeah, my pride, uh, or just my, my sense of value was really um, diminished. Because I thought poorly of me, I also thought that people thought poorly of me, and eventually I even started thinking that God also viewed me um, in light of my sin, and in light of um, who I thought I was. And so that kind of led to uh, me starting to perform and starting to do these things, um, trying to earn favor with I'm um, certainly, you know, my peers, my family, my mentors, um, but also starting to um, appeal to God or to appease God to maybe win his love or win his favor uh, in my life. Fast forward again now to the summer um, that I graduated college. Um, this is kind of where I see that I reached the, the height or the peak of my performing, if you will. Um, I, uh, Tyler Yaunt, the Christian, was now a full-time uh, missionary. I joined staff with a campus ministry at uh, U of I's campus, um, and so uh, it was during that time, though, that summer, that God chose to uh, kind of <laughs> take away my prideful view of myself um, and to really reveal to me how I wasn't living humbly, but I was actually trying to earn my way and do things for myself in order to win his love, to win his favor, to win, you know, my friends and my family's favor as well. And so how that looked like is as the summer of support raising uh, was going on, um, I started feeling more and more convicted about kind of this, uh, this double life I was living of, you know, performing and putting a face up, you know, at church or around my friends and family, but really knowing what was going on inside of me. And um, so in August of 2013, I chose to resign um, from full-time uh, ministry to kind of seek healing and restoration um, in my life. 
So God taught me a lot during uh, the next year, certainly. Um, but one of the, the bigger lessons was that I already had God's full acceptance and full love, um, that that was complete, that God couldn't love me more than he already had because he was already loving me um, to the fullest capacity. Um, and that that is based not off of my goodness or my purity or my righteousness, but it's based off of Jesus's goodness, purity, and righteousness. And that was just a, a, a huge groundbreaking discovery for me that, um, yeah, that, you know, going to church every Sunday, leading Bible studies, right, even like walk-up evangelism, like all these things that I was doing um, aren't, <laughs> aren't, you know, to win favor with the Lord, aren't to, um, you know, make myself, you know, kind of climb the, the ranks in, you know, my Christian circles and things like that. But really these things are meant to draw me closer to the Lord, to, to feel and experience God's presence, um, just to know him and to grow uh, in my relationship with him. Yeah, once I started viewing myself as unconditionally loved by God, um, that, yeah, that just changed my whole life. Grace will do that. And um, I'm so grateful for Tyler's faith story. Um, Tyler was struggling with something that many, many Christians struggle with, and it's called performancism. Performancism. It's the notion that if I'm good enough, if I attend church enough, if I do enough church-like things, that somehow, somehow I will, that will earn favor with God. Performanceism. And that will kill your spiritual life. It really will. Uh, Because, you see, if you're successful at performanceism, then... It'll make you proud, and you'll uh, be condescending, and you look down on other people, and it'll kill your spiritual life. And then on the other hand, if you're not good at it, then you'll be crushed by the weight of guilt, and you will not grow as a believer. So, performance of grace heals performanceism. And it helps us grow. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about growth, growing in Christ. If this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, I'm so glad that you're here. We're in a series called This is Church. And um, what we're doing is we're just trying to describe how we define church, how we understand the word church. And last week we talked about uh, the word worship. And the most important thing we learned last week was that when we gather here for worship, the mo- we gather here for worship not for what we can give to God, but we gather here for what He wants to give us. That's the most important part of worship. 
And we learn from Psalm 95 that the most important thing that God wants to give us is his word, is his word, because his word is our life. And that's just a perfect segue into today's word to describe uh, who we are as a church, and that's the word grow. We are about growth, spiritual growth. What do we mean by that? What I mean is becoming more and more like Christ. Our mission statement is about being a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ, growing in Christ. Uh, we're here to, we're here for the purpose of God making us into uh, what C.S. Lewis calls little Christs. Little Christs. The author of the Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, and so many other books once said this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. So... We're here that God might make us in the little Christs. One preacher of old put it this way. He became what we are so that he might make us what he is. Growth. Becoming more and more like Christ. Now, my question in light of that is this. How does that kind of growth occur? What conditions best facilitate this kind of growth? Well, the answer to that question is found in the New Testament book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading verses 4 through 15. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. You'll find that on page 865 of your church Bibles. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, uh, please take that copy that's in the church pouch in front of you and uh, put your name in it and receive it as a gift from this church family. I'm going to read Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, He called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That's a quote from the prophet Isaiah. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is God's word. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but this year, the cell phone turned 41 years of age. Did you know that? It did. 41 years ago, the cell phone was uh, invented. I know, I know, it was a quiet celebration at our house too. But in 1973, an inventor... uh, from Motorola, a guy by the name of Martin Cooper, uh, successfully made the very first cell phone call. That's what it looked like. Two and a half pounds, nine inches, right? And the very first words spoken on the cell phone were words which Martin Cooper made uh, when he called his rival at AT&T and, and said these words, I'm ringing you just to see uh, how good my call sounds and your end. <laughs> uh, it took 10 years for this prototype to reach market. And so in 1983... A Motorola uh, started selling the Dynatech 8000X uh, uh, for $3,995. That's how much it cost, which in today's dollars would be almost $10,000. And for that, who would pay $10,000 for a cell phone? Isn't that interesting? My, how times have changed. And, and, And for that, you got 35 minutes of talk time, and you had to recharge the thing for 10 hours. My, how times have changed. And this thing is amazing. It's amazing. You can talk, you can text, you can tweet. You can surf the internet all during your pastor's sermon, and he'll never know. <laughs> you can stream a movie, all right? Please use earphones if you do, right? We, I mean, you can Facebook. This is an amazing piece of technology, and it's just been a you know, worldwide game changer, and it's been of great help, too. Last spring, when I was on a mission trip in the Dominican Republic, um, a family in our church, their loved one, died. And because of this, I was able to help plan uh, funeral services. Would not have been able to do that otherwise. My goodness, there's so, so many ways in which our communication has been enhanced by this piece of technology. The cell phone, 41 
That said, has this helped us be better listeners? Has this helped us hear and pause and pay attention to the important things that people want to say to us? What do you think? Jesus places a premium on hearing in our parable. Did you get that? I mean, think about it. Here in uh, this parable of the sower, this hearing shows up in, in several verses. I'm looking at verse 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then it shows up in each verse, 10 through 15. And then jump down to verse 18 where Jesus just tends to want to bring it home when he says, take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. And then in Luke chapter 8, um, someone says in verse 20, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Jesus answered them and said, my mother and my brothers are those who what? Hear the word of God and do it. And so when Jesus is talking about hearing, he's not, I mean, this is saturated with hearing, but he's not talking about the mechanics of what goes on in your ear. He's talking about the kind of hearing that leads to listening and receiving and accepting what it is he has to say and then following what it is he has to say. That's what Jesus is talking about when it, when it comes to, to hearing and and. And so Jesus says, what's even more interesting is that your hearing is not so much a function of your ear as much as it is your heart. See, your, so your, how is your heart at hearing and accepting and receiving God's word? And that's what leads to spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, before it is an activity in your life, is foremost a condition of your heart, you see. And so this parable tells us of the way people hear God's word when it comes to them. This is a parable. Imagine your heart uh, as an agricultural field, and the soil of your heart, depending on that type, will determine the health and the maturity of that plant, of that seed that sprouts. So the seed's going to do its work. What's the soil of your heart? These verses challenge me to do a soil analysis test. How's my heart? What's it like? How am I hearing? Where is it? What I want to do is just look at these four soil types. Jesus says there are four soil types representing the way people respond when the seed of God's word. And notice he says seed. He doesn't say bullet. See, it's a seed. It falls. And it gets planted. I mean, it just grows. Depending on the soil type, there are four soil types. Let's look at each of these four soil types. I want us to see what each type is, but I want us to see why it is what it is. So Christ starts journeying over the soil of my heart. Well, well, he doesn't even need to take a core sample. He's 
standing on top of this certain section of my heart. He says, I don't have to take a core sample. It's compacted. It's like concrete. It's like asphalt. It's hard. It's the seed that was sown along the path. Think sidewalk. Think asphalt. Think cement. The seed just ricochets off of the surface of that soil. It's not going to get underneath where it can grow and mature. This seed has fallen on a hard, hard heart. Now, what is a hard heart? You know what a hard heart is? We read about that in the Bible, right? A hardened heart. What is a heart? A hardened heart is a heart that is unresponsive to God. A hardened heart is a heart that uh, there's no longing for God. There's no passion for God. There's no response to God whatsoever. It's just, ah, nothing. nothing. God's ringing. You just let him go to voicemail. Not going to respond. A hard heart. And my question is, what makes it that way? Wow, there's a lot of reasons, huh? Some people have hard hearts because they grew up in a very rigid, performancistic church environment. Some grew up with hypocrisy. And they say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want to have that, anything to do with that kind of, of religious atmosphere. Some have chosen a worldview. Uh, I'm thinking of naturalism. I'm thinking of scientism. Scientism. Scientism is not science. Scientism is a worldview. Scientism says that the only thing that's real is that which can be proven by science. That's scientism, which, by the way, that statement cannot be proven by science. You see, it's a worldview. You understand? And some have just said, that's going to be my worldview. Uh, I think about this soil, and I don't just think about other people. Jesus calls me to do a Soil analysis. Where in my heart has it been hard? Where do I tend to resist God? Where do I find myself unresponsive to God? <laughs> oh, let me count the ways. The Spirit of Christ nudges my heart. The Spirit of Christ says, You need to apologize to Sarah for the terse way you spoke with her. You, you need to. Make peace with your son for your impatience toward him. See? And my heart resists. My heart hardens. Well, I'm right. And that's what's important. And the Spirit of Christ says, you just keep telling yourself that. See? And here's the deal. When a seed stays out on that asphalt... It's not too very long before what Jesus says, the bird comes and sweeps down and takes that seed away. You see that? And Jesus identifies the bird as the devil. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. In Hebrew literature, evil was often represented by birds. And so Jesus is just, you know, uh, speaking in the language of people who would understand. But it's interesting, isn't it? Even the devil knows the value of the word of God. Even the, if, if I'm not going to appreciate the value of the seed, 
the devil does, swoops in and takes it away. Think about what's going on right here, right now. Think about what goes on in your small group or insight classes or every time you open up your Bible. There is a war going on over your heart. And there is an evil one who dreams and schemes of ways of taking away the most precious thing that will help us become more and more like Christ. So my question is this. Where is your heart? How is your heart? What's the condition of the soil in your heart? That's soil number one. But Jesus isn't through walking, is he? He continues his journey through the field of my heart, and he sees, well, he sees rocky, grainy soil, doesn't he? Oh, there's, there's a little bit of what looks like life there, but then there's just a bunch of wilted plants. What's with that? What's going on there? What's going on there are, are, are those who have received the word and received the word with joy, and yet when times of testing come, trials come, difficulties come, the heat of the day come because there's no root system to sustain the life in that plant, that plant wilts and withers and you know it's not that there's anything wrong with the joy it's not that there's anything wrong with the excitement of first receiving God's word don't you remember the the joy you first felt emotionally when you received God's word in your life and in your heart is like this is wonderful we have standing ovations at baptisms this is just, it's just wonderful full of joy full of emotional well-being. But hear Jesus when he says this, the true test of being a follower of Christ is not the emotional well-being you feel when you first hear the word. See, You see, God has left us in a sinful, broken, fallen world. And it's a world that's full of tragedy, a world that's full of catastrophe, and it's a world that's full of disappointment. There will be others who will disappoint you. And when that time comes, see, what's going to happen? How are you going to respond? When times of testing come, what will be my reaction to God? And, and I'm faced with one of two decisions, right? One decision is, God, I thank you for your word. I'm going to lean on your word. I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to depend upon your word. Your word is my life. Whatever has come my way has first come through you. And this fiery trial is sent to burn the dross off of my life so that at the end of the day, we might come forth as gold. Thank you, God. Or, or when fiery trials come your way, you can summons God into the court of your judgment and you can question his wisdom and dispute his way. See, there's a choice here. There's a, and depending upon your choice, you're going to grow or not. You're going to grow or you're going to wilt. What's it going to be? Uh, Kyle Eidelman has written a really helpful book called Not a Fan. He talks about the importance of what he calls defining the relationship. Defining the relationship. So, 
Am I going to be a fan of Christ or a follower of Christ? Am I going to admire Christ from a distance or am I willing to entrust my life to Christ 100% no matter what? He tells about a uh, television interview that he saw on the news one time uh, concerning a a group of new vegetarians that have emerged in our culture. Didn't know that there were a new group of vegetarians that have come forth in our culture, but there are. And uh, this one representative of this new group of vegetarians is a person by the name of Christy. And um, the way Christy puts it is this. I generally eat vegetarian, but I really like sausage too. And, uh, you know, there are a group of vegetarians that typically eat vegetarian, but they make exceptions. Well, of course, the orthodox vegetarians are kind of uptight about this. So they have insisted that these new vegetarians uh, find a new name, which they did. And here's the name. Have you heard it? Flexitarian. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Look, Google it while I preach. Go ahead. Flexitarian. (laughs) Flexitarian. These are folks who generally eat vegetarian, except when they want to have some meat. And Kyle Eidelman says, you're looking it up, aren't you, Janice? Uh, (laughs) Kyle Eidelman says, Kyle Eidelman says, well, that's me. He says, I absolutely refuse to eat meat unless it's served. And then Christy, the new vegetarian, flexitarian, she puts it this way. She says, she says this. She says, well, uh, generally, I'm vegetarian. I'm just not 100% committed. Kyle Eidelman quips. And that's how many Christians live their faith. They have a flexitarian faith. Oh, I like Jesus, but don't expect me to help the under-resourced. Oh, I love Jesus, but don't expect me to be involved in a church community. What's that? Oh, I love Jesus, but don't expect me to forgive that hurt. It's time to define the relationship. Listen, Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, church family, look up here. There is no comfortable way to carry a cross. It's time to define the relationship. Am I going to be a fan or am I going to be a follower? Am I going to admire Jesus from a distance or am I going to intru- am I going to go all in? See. Where is your heart? What's the condition of your heart? Soil on the hard path, soil on the rocky path, but Jesus isn't done, is he? <laughs> He keeps walking and he sees some soil where there is life. There's, there's, there's plant life. The seed is sprouted. 
There is growth. And there's also something else. You see it? Thorns. Thorns. And Christ identifies these thorns as the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. So the question isn't, why hasn't this seed sprouted? That's not the question at all. No, you can see it. It's right there. But it's being crowded out. It's being choked. And it's life and it's Potential are stunted by many other concerns and cares and worries and anxieties. And so there's no margin whatsoever for that plant to flourish, for, for the fruit to grow, for it to be a blessing to others. And so, so the plant never matures. It doesn't even say that it dies. It just never bears fruit, fruit that would help others. So the question for me is this, What is it that might choke my faith to prevent the fruitfulness that God so very much desires? Is it money? Is it stuff? Is it material goods? Is it worry? Is it egocentric worry? Worry about things that I cannot control. Could it be my schedule? Could it be activity? Could it be religious activity, church activity? You know, I find myself so busy working for God that I'm not resting in God. I, I fear that some of us are not being choked so much by possessions or materialism, but by what one author calls crazy busy. Kevin DeYoung's book, Crazy Busy. He writes, have we bought into the Western culture of what the good life is? Are we trying to cram our Christianity into the hectic pace of our Western world? Are we so crazy busy that we feel the pressure to be super mom or super dad to the degree that we don't have the energy to love God. We want to love God, we just don't have the strength. We don't have the margin to serve others. We haven't built in the time for relationships within the church community. We we're just running from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, and they're all good things. They're not evil plots, they're good things. But they're things that crowd out our attention and our passion for the Lord. In Kevin DeYoung's book, he tells about a person from another culture who came to the United States. And she began introducing herself by saying, Hello, I'm busy. Hello, I'm busy. Because she figured that was the traditional American greeting. So that's how she introduced herself. There's a clinical name for crazy busy. It's called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. A behavioral pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. A malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and then gets flustered when encountering any kind of delay. As wonderful as this technology is, it hasn't made me more patient. And the risk of this soil is not that we'll reject our faith. It's not that this soil will make us into atheists or agnostic. That's not the risk at all. The risk is that we'll become so crazy busy that we'll just settle for a mediocre version of our faith. 
We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living our lives. And wouldn't you know as you read through the Gospels and Jesus' ministry unfolds, he came across these soils. He did. He came across hearts that were so hard. You know who the hardest hearts Jesus came into contact with? The clergy, the pastors. Scribes, Pharisees, the legalistic, performancistic clergy came across hard hearts. He came across shallow hearts, hearts that admired his miracles, but they were unwilling to follow. He came across distracted hearts, hearts that were so busy doing the many things that they neglected the one thing. And these soils will produce no growth, no fruit, no produce, no harvest, no blessing for you and others. They won't. They just won't. Three of these soils will not produce little Christs. And Jesus is kind of challenging us. That's what's behind verses 9 and 10, you know, that... that You know, seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. What is that? That is an invitation. Jesus tells this parable. I mean, a seed can be discarded, right? He tells this parable as an invitation. And when he tells that parable, you've got a choice. Are you going to explore Christ or ignore Christ? What are you going to do? What's it going to be? Three of these soils will produce nothing, but the fourth will. The fourth will. Hmm. Verse 15 speaks of a heart that is rich and good and beautiful and honest and patient. The seed enters this, and it just grows abundant fruit. Why? Why? Because it's a receptive heart. It's a teachable heart. It's a humble heart. It's a serving heart. It's a heart that wants to learn. It's a heart of love for God and others. That heart feeds a lot of people. Sarah gets to hear my sermon before any of you do. On Saturday, she usually wants to hear my sermon. And so I was telling her about the parable of the sower and the soils. And after I covered these four soils with her, she said, well, which soil are you? And I said, with as much maturity as I could muster, which soil are you? I said, I'm all of them. You know? Hello, my name is Randy. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and I suffer from multiple soil disorder. (laughs) Really? I mean, you know, my heart needs help. I, I, I need someone to come in and manage the soil of my heart. Who will help? Who will help? The sower will help. The sower will. And so I give you, I give you Psalm 51.10. 
This verse from the psalm, this is the beginning of change. This is the beginning of a condition that will just automatically yield growth. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Give me a new heart. Change my heart. Transplant my heart. Heal my heart of the disease of sclerosis and selfishness and pride and self-promotion and shallowness and flexitarianism. Cure me of the addiction to my own significance. Help me. Listen. Cure me of a hurried heart. God, hear me and listen When you pray that from the heart, you see your heart hears and then your heart also speaks. And when you pray that from the heart, God will respond. He will hydrate the dry heart. He will stabilize and enrich the rocky heart. He will weed the distracted heart. And that might hurt. And he will produce dark, rich, fertile loam of a good and honest and patient heart. And he does this because he's good and he's honest and he's patient and he's generous and he's happy and he is full of grace. He's full of, there is grace all over this parable. I mean, think about it. I mean, Jesus doesn't say that a farmer went out to sow and he carefully prepared the soil and removed all the rocks and weeds and marked off the neat rows and placed each seed exactly six inches from each other and then covered them with exactly three quarters of an inch of soil. Who does that, American farmers? How boring. (laughs) Jesus says the sower goes out and he just flooding in seed everywhere. I mean, he's reckless about it, and he's generous about it, and he's happy about it, he's wasteful about it. Seed goes everywhere. Who does that? God does that. God does that. (laughs) That's what the Word of God is like. Why does God do it that way? Because he is God, and he's full of grace, and full of mercy, and full of love. And he's the only one who can take some asphalt and churn it up Created me a clean heart, yes, and it becomes fertile loam. He's the only one who can remove the rocky surface, and that's by grace. And it's by grace that he pulls the weeds, and it's by grace that he sows on land everybody else would ignore. And we are that land, and he has transformed Hard hearts and rocky hearts and thorny hearts. And he's making us into good, honest, steadfast, right hearts. My goodness. You see why this is the parable of all parables? You see why Jesus says, if you don't get this parable, you're not going to understand any other parable. This is about the condition of your heart. Spiritual growth is a condition of your heart before it's an activity in your life. So... How is your heart? How is your heart? Well, it's time for us to do business with God. I want you to take out this card here. And I want us to spend some time with God here.
as a family, I want you to quiet your souls. Oh, Lord, my God, let me love you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. I want us to leave up Psalm 51.10. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. And perhaps on the back of this card, there's a prayer you want to write out. Let's just bow our heads, quiet our hearts, and ask God to do what only he can do.